Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. So if you want to, you can follow along with me in my notes. They're available on the YouVersion Bible app as well as on a Faith Plus app. So if you go into the Faith Plus app under Faith Christian Center, the first link you see on the top left, you'll see my notes for tonight and you can go along with me. We're introducing going through a good portion of 1 John chapter 1 tonight. And one of the things you understand about 1 John, well, go with me to, before we get to 1 John, go with me to John chapter 20 and I'll explain the importance of what we're going to tonight with 1 John. You know, one of the things, you know, people, people are people. And what do people actually, they like to talk. They like to chat. They like to, you know, talk about the latest thing. And, you know, one of the things we have in our culture, we have culture wars, and it seems that someone's always outraged about something. And yes, I know there's things that you should be angry about sometimes, and there's righteous indignation. But there's so many times in our culture, we are so full of anger all the time. And it's not healthy from the spiritual point of view or the natural point of view. And we become shocked at things like, you know, people were talking about the award show this weekend and they said, oh, I can't believe that, you know, sinners sinned. Well, that's what they do. You can't, oh, I can't believe it was, things were so dark. Well, the world is dark. And the thing is, we have to take another mindset and approach if we actually expect to do what God has called us to do. If we actually believe that we can ignite an awakening that impacts George and influence the world through the power of the love of Jesus, if we actually believe that Jesus can use us in this day and age, we can't be shocked by the darkness. We can't get caught up in everybody's, you know, debating and, you know, especially when you're tearing down other believers who are being light. We can't get caught up in the culture wars. We can't get caught up in the gossip and the slander on social media. We have to make a decision to live a certain way if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. And that's why 1 John, I believe, is so important. So starting at John chapter 20, verse 24, I'll show you why it's, this is connected to where we're going in 1 John tonight. John chapter 20, verse 24, of course, the gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation were written by the apostle John. So looking at John chapter 20, verse 24. It says, now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand in the side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed because blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. When we talk about this time in Mark 16, now remember, uh, Mark wasn't there. Mark was the assistant secretary and study uh, disciple of Peter. He learned a lot from Peter. He started with Barnabas as John, Mark, and Paul, and eventually he became uh, the assistant and secretary under Peter. So a lot of Peter's experiences with Jesus is what you find in Gospel of Mark. And Mark, you know, the way it's written, there's it's very fast-paced, very uh, action-packed. 
But in Mark 16, he describes this as Jesus upbraided them, saying, hey, stop being so full of unbelief. You need to believe. And so John shares the story. And then verse 30 tells you why John wrote the Gospel of John. See, John has this unique way of beginning his writings, especially when you see this in the Gospel of John and in 1 John, and that he tells you why he wrote it at the end of his writing. So John chapter 21 is the last chapter. So the end of John 20, you see the reason why he wrote the entire Gospel of John. And notice why he said he wrote it. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, so the things that he wrote, the signs that he wrote. You see, John chapter two talks about the uh, first signs Jesus began to manifest to show his glory. So he's talking about all the things he's covered in this book. He said, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe. Well, what, that, what does he want them to believe? That Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John wrote the gospel of John that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That means he's the anointed one. He is the Messiah. You believe that he is the son of God and that you through believing may have life in his name. Notice something John said, because this is something very uh, important to understand the rightness of John. John didn't say that you may one day have life. He didn't say that. He says that you, that believing you may have life in his name. That is something current. Now go with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and then eventually we'll get to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. So when we skip to the end of 1 John, we see one of the reasons why John wrote the letter or the book or the epistle of 1 John. Notice what it says. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. So he's writing to people who already believe. And he says that I'm writing to you that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. So he's not, remember, he's not saying that you can get eternal life when you die. He says, I want you to know that you got it right now. And so what he's teaching there is countering some of the false doctrine that's trying to attack the church. We'll get into that later tonight and later in the series. But he's saying that you know that you have eternal life right now and that you may continue. He wants them to know they have eternal life. And he wants them to continue in believing, continue in faith, continue in faith in the name of the Son of God. Because as he said in John 20, that by believing, you're going to have and experience the life that's available to you in the name of of our Lord and Savior. So let's give you some historical perspectives about this book. John wrote 1 John around 90 AD. By this time of his writing, he is one of the he's the only one of the 12 who are still alive. Everyone else has died decades before. John is the elder of the church, of the global church. He's one of the only ones who remain who literally walked with Jesus in person who knew Jesus personally. What's so interesting to me is that a lot of scholars believe that when John was with Jesus, he was the youngest of all the disciples. Some even believe he was even a teenager. And so now he goes from being the youngest to now being the elder of the global church. And that there are some historians, scholars said that where he lived, that there were not just people who were under his ministry, but people sought him from across the world to come spend time with him. Now, think if you lived in the time of John, you would too. If he was the only apostle left, 
you would come see him. You would spend time with him. You want to learn from him. So John wrote 1 John around 90 AD. By the time of his writing, he's the only one of the 12 who are still alive. He is the elder and he lives on a hill overlooking the ancient city of Ephesus. He has the oversight of the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And these are the churches that Paul started many decades earlier. These are the churches that Jesus addressed in the beginning of the book of Revelation. The churches are undergoing a doctrinal attack from people who left their churches. So this attack is not just really dealing with, you know, the outside worldly culture. This attack are from people who were part of the church left. And now they're causing drama with the people who stayed and the drama they're causing is from the doctrine. They're trying to push on the people who stayed committed to Jesus. So John is writing to give doctrinal clarity that will help these believers to continue to live their faith. Now we're ready for first John chapter one, verse one, first John chapter one, verse one. We're ready now. Notice what it says here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So John's introduction, first John echoes his introduction to the gospel of John. So let's look at the gospel of John introduction as well. And then we'll break down the first introduction of first John. John chapter one, one through three says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. So John's introduction in John chapter one echoes Genesis chapter one and chapter two, Proverbs chapter eight and different creation accounts. And so describing Jesus as the word is connected to describe how he is wisdom. Even Paul says Jesus made into his righteous wisdom and sanctification. And so he's connecting some of the things we know from what we studied in Genesis 1 and 2 and Proverbs chapter 8 and Jesus being made wisdom unto us. And now it says Jesus is the word. And in 1 John 1, 1, he calls him the word of life. So remember, understanding what life is, especially what eternal life is, is important to understanding what John is going to share with us in this letter. So back to 1 John 1 and picking up with verse 2. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So notice as you see this in my notes. In three short verses, John writes three different times describing his personal experience with Jesus. John has a unique advantage at the end of the first century AD that those who are trying to disrupt the church don't have. John was there. So John is right and say, I was there. I saw him. I knew him. I hung out with him. John is writing from a perspective of an eyewitness, not somebody who heard later or somebody who's repeating what someone told them. John is saying, I was there. John was there from the beginning. He knew Jesus. He was close to Jesus. He was part of those inner three. So remember, 
Jesus had a lot of friends and a lot of disciples. And then he had the 12 apostles. And inside the 12, there was this inner core that were closer to Jesus and saw some things that the rest of the disciples didn't see. We know that inner core is Peter, James, and John. So John was part of the inner three. But he was so close and so trusted to Jesus that you see this in the Gospel of John and in the other Gospels that when uh, at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me, everybody's asking who's going to be, is it I, is it I, is it I? And Peter motions to John says, you ask him. So Peter fully believed that if John asked, John was going to answer. And John believed the same thing. So John leaned on Jesus and said, who is it? And guess what? Jesus told him. Now, something else about John we know is that John is one of the first people to believe that Jesus was alive. You see that in the Gospel of John, that John and the women who went to the tomb were the ones who believed first. Before John ever saw Jesus, he believed that he was alive. When the rest of the disciples and apostles were doubting, John believed. Now, G John was also trusted by Jesus. How much did John trust him? I mean, how much did Jesus trust John? He entrusted the care of his mother to John. On the cross, Jesus said to John, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. And from the rest of his days, John took care of Mary. John and Mary moved to Ephesus and Mary spent the rest of her dates in the city of Ephesus as part of the church that was in Ephesus. And so you understand John has this unique perspective on life because he walked with Jesus. And then he's been alive for nearly five to six decades since Jesus has been gone. And so he's saying, he says three different times in these three verses, I saw him. I heard him. I was there. And he uses this phrase, you know, I touched him. We said, well, why is that so important? Because some of the doctrinal confusion he's fighting are telling people, it's fighting that people say, well, they're saying that Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. He wasn't really here. It was just, he looked like he was here, but he really wasn't here physically. And so John is countering their false claims, their false doctrine, their heresy saying, I was there. I saw him. I touched him. I hang out with him. I'm the dude who leaned on him at the last supper. I was there with him from the beginning. And also one of the things we have to understand in this introduction, in these two in two short verses in 1 John 1 and 2, John mentions life or eternal life three different times. Now, if you're going to study the Bible, you, you pause and you look at these things. And so you're not just reading generally just for general edification. When you study, pull out things, it's important that in this introduction that Jesus, John wrote that he knew, saw, heard Jesus personally. He emphasizes that, but he also emphasizes this theme of eternal life three different times for saying the word of life, this life was manifested. He's saying this again and again to drive home the point of what he's going to do. Now, the writing style of 1 John is different. Now, John is, comes from a very educated background. John comes from an affluent background. John and his brother and his father had a big fishing business. You see them in Capernaum and on the Sea of Galilee, and they were usually pretty successful. They were so successful and affluent, they were known by the high priest's family and the people who worked in the high priest's house. And so John comes from a educated background. And with that, that affects his writing style. And his writing style in John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation are very unique. And so he's writing about these things. And in 1st John, he doesn't follow the normal writing style that he does in 2nd John and 3rd John, which look like the normal epistles or letters of the day. In 1st John, some scholars describe it as more poetic or a style of amplification where he's going to mention a subject and circle back to it. 
and then circle back to it. Each time he circles back to it, he gives more revelation, more insight, and that style is called amplification. And so this is what John's going to do and at the very beginning. He is talking about I, saying, I was there and I want to talk to you about this life. And we already looked at the end of the book. He says, I want you to know that you have this life. Now, here's something else key to this, this understanding the book of First John. Verse three, once again, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you why that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. You might think, well, that's if you are living in 80, 90, it's pretty good to say, well, I can have fellowship with John. That's that's pretty good. If we're living in 80, 90, we would all want that too, wouldn't you? Come on. If you said that, that would be me, I would be one of those people who wants fellowship with John. Go ahead and put it in the chat. I said that would be me. I know that would be me. If, a, if this is an invitation to have partnership with John, because that's one of the word, what the word fellowship means. That word fellowship means partnership. It also means participation with. It also means intimate friendship. And so John is writing, extending an invitation for partnership. But before he even goes to talk about this partnership, he talked about this life. Just like it says in John 1 verse 4, it says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And so now we know the themes of this life. And John says, I was there. He extends this invitation to partnership. Now, in a partnership, everybody has their own part. And so he's extending this invitation for partnership. He's extending this invitation to all those churches who are reading this. Hey, you can be partners with me in this. But he says, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because you think, okay, partner with John, whatever God's calling him to do, that's awesome. But he doesn't stop there. And he says, truly our fellowship or our partnership or association or intimate friendship, our community is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. John is writing an invitation for partnership. And he says, everything I'm about to declare to you, what I'm declaring to you so that you can partner, not just with me, but you can partner with God. Paul says, let that sink in. Let that sink in for a moment. God wants to partner with you. Let that sink in. And let, as we let that sink in, say it out loud, put it in the chat. Say, God wants to partner with me. Say it out loud, put it in the chat. Say, God wants to partner with me. Well, one more time. Say it out loud, put it in the chat. Say, God wants to partner with me. God wants to partner with you. Now, think about what that looks like. Because sometimes we say, well, God wants to partner with us in spiritually. Yes, God wants to partner with us on Sundays. Okay, True. Well, God wants to partner with us during spiritual things. Sure. God wants to partner with you in your everyday life. God wants to be involved in what you're involved in. No matter what your career is, no matter where you live, God wants to partner with you. Meaning God wants to do his part and he wants to help you do your part. And what John's going to share in this letter is going to be key for you partnering with God. And when we think about our culture and all the challenges that are in front of us, we don't handle the challenges by squabbling with other believers. We don't handle the ch challenges by being shocked 
or in awe about the darkness. You know why people talk about the darkness so much? They're impressed by the darkness. We don't partner with God by being impressed by the darkness. Well, how do we partner with God? Let's keep reading in 1 John. Because he goes next when he says, I'm extending this invitation of partnership. 1 John 1, 4, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So not only is he writing this so you can partner with God. He says, I'm writing this so that your joy may be full. Now, one of the things we know with the drama that's going on between the churches, you know, their joy might be suffering. But this phrase that your joy may be full is echoing something that Jesus told John and his other followers right before he was arrested and taken away. This is what he told them, you know, at the Last Supper and going to the Garden of Gethsemane. So let's look at that. John 15, 11. John is echoing something that Jesus told him. John 15, verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now, Jesus is about to be taken away from them. He's even told them that they will be sorrowful. But he says, I'm telling you this now so that you'll keep my joy and that your joy may be full. And then John 16, 23, he says, and in that day, and we know that day is today. Go ahead, say out loud, say that day is today. Say it out loud, put it in the chat, say that day is today. Go ahead, say it out loud, put it in the chat, say that day is today. He said, in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So what John is going to be share in this letter is a continuation of what Jesus first shared in John 15 and 16. It's going to explain how you get that result. That's a great result that you ask. In prayer, in his name, you get what you ask for. That is a great result. And one of the things you'll see in 1 John 5, John shares exactly how you get that result. And so he's writing these things to echo what Jesus said so that people who are who, have, who are living 60 years after Jesus first said that could experience what Jesus said. So imagine the churches. So even some of the older people in the churches that John is writing to are not as old as John. They didn't have the same experience that John did. And so imagine some of the younger people in these churches, these teenagers who are in the churches that John is writing to, that he's writing, echoing. Everybody knows the gospel. John is out there. He's echoing, saying, hey, you guys can experience the same thing Jesus said we can experience. So one of the things we also realize is that Jesus wants your joy to be full. So say it out loud and put it in the chat. Say, Jesus wants my joy to be full. Say it aloud and put it in the chat. Say, Jesus wants my joy to be full. Say it aloud and put it in the chat. Say, Jesus wants my joy to be full. And so if you do the things that John will share in this letter, your joy will be full. And you will experience what Jesus talked about in John 15 and 16. And I'll just keep going to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. So imagine this dramatic lead up. This is what Jesus told us. So imagine if you're one of the visitors who came to John's house on that hilltop of, of ancient Ephesus, overlooking the city of Ephesus, and you come into John's house and you sit there and he says, I want to tell you something. Now, your ears are open because you've traveled all this way to be with John. 
He says, I want to tell you what Jesus told us. And he looks around. He said, do you really want to know? Do you want to know what Jesus told us? Now, John, outside of maybe some other disciples who weren't the apostles or people who might have been there during the early days of Jesus' early ministry, most of them are gone. John may be the only one left who can say, hey, guess what Jesus told me? This is what we heard from him. And he's not just saying, I, you know, I went to one of his messages. I went to one of Jesus' meetings. It was great. Now, that's a great firsthand experience. But he says, I lived with the dude. I traveled with the dude. I was in his meetings. I was with them from beginning to the end. I was there at the cross. I was at the tomb when he was raised from the dead. I was with them over the next 40 days till he ascended. I want to tell you what he told us. So imagine if you're in the room waiting on bated breath, like, oh, what, what did he say? What did he say? What did he say? It's like he's leaving this like a big trumpet announcement. Like, dun, da, da, da. This is what he told us. So whatever he's about to say, we need to make sure we get. We need to make sure we understand. Even though we're people who live about 1900 years later, we need to understand how John summarizes what Jesus told them in those three to three and a half years he was with them. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So notice how John summarizes all the teachings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How he summarizes not just the public messages, but the explanations that Jesus gave when it was just the 12 and the followers mentioned in Luke chapter 8 and those close disciples. Notice how he describes the things that we don't know that Jesus said them as they were walking along the way as they did life together for those three plus years. He summed it up saying, God is light. Because the way Jesus talked about the Heavenly Father was different than how the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees talked about him. It was different than how the popular culture of Judaism at the day talked about them. The popular culture in Jerusalem and Galilee talked about him. He talked about him differently. And John describes what John shared, what Jesus shared with them as God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So say it out loud and put it in the chat. Say God is light. Come on, say it out loud and put it in the chat. Say God is light. It's important to understand that. You say for people who read this before, oh, of course God is light. But do you really believe that? Do you? And because it, it challenges even the religious notions of today, even the notions of believers, and especially the notions of unbelievers. I don't know how many people said in 2020, well, God sent COVID. No, he did not. I remember I talked to people even at the beginning of the days. I said, this is not God. He said, well, God does judge. I said, this is not a judgment of God. God did not send COVID. Why? God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. In him is no COVID at all. The darkness is not in him. Yes, there's darkness in the world, but it did not come from him. There's no poverty in him. There's no depression in him. There's no darkness in him. 
So the dark things that you may be experiencing or fighting or struggling with and working to overcome in your life did not come from God. Here's another phrase that's popular on social media. It's popular in, you know, churchy religious circles. And uh, I know I'll mention it on Faith in the Morning sometime in the future. I'm going to tackle it again. But people say, oh, God only gives his strongest battles, his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. If you've heard that phrase before, something like that, put in the chat. If you heard someone say or post or tweet or put on TikTok that God only gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. And what they're saying with that phrase is, yeah, it was a tough time, but you know, God gave it to me because I could handle it. So if you heard someone say that, go ahead and say, I've heard that. Go ahead and put it in the chat. I've heard someone say that or something like that. Go ahead and put it in the chat saying that, you know, God only gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. If you heard that, go ahead and share that. Because that is scripturally untrue. Now, it may help someone ease their pains or, you know, kind of mentally justify why they're going through what they're going through. But God didn't give you that battle. What does God give victory? He didn't give you that battle. And when people describe that, they're usually talking about some type of tragedy or some type of hardship that they're going through. Or, you know, even people as the new year was coming along, they were saying, no, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm not on God's toughest soldier list for 2023. Because like I was on his toughest soldier list for 2022. I'm going to make sure I'm not on his toughest soldier list for 2023. That's not God. He is light. Yes, we have battles and struggles and things in this world, but God is our answer, not a problem. God is the one we run to so that we can overcome and have victory. He's not the one who created the problem. He didn't create the sickness. He didn't create the disease. He didn't create the drama. He created your victory. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And John says, this is what we heard from him. And imagine how encouraging it is to people who are living 60 years later, who are facing these struggles and these other believers who have turned on them and now they're espousing false heretical doctrines, trying to disrupt their belief in Jesus. The pressure that's coming on them from the outside world, the pressure they face from people who hate them. And he says, this is what I want to tell you so that you can partner with God. And that your joy can be full. God is light. It's hard to partner with someone when you question their motives. It's hard to partner with someone if you think they're out to get you. If you think God is waiting to zap you with a lightning bolt, it's hard to partner with them. Because instead of working with them, you're walking on eggshells. Like, okay, if I make a mistake, he's going to zap me. He's going to take me out. How can you partner with someone like that? And John says, I'm writing this so that you can partner with God, so that your joy can be full. Here's what you need to know. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And that's such good news. This also echoes some of the things that John shared in John chapter 1. So let's look at that. In John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then he talks about John the Baptist saying, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that light was the true light which gives light to every man coming into 
the world. Now notice what else John talked about light in John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see this phrase, walk in darkness, in the Gospel of John, but you're also going to see it in a few verses later in 1 John. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not live. That's what that walk means is a Jewish idiom for how you live. You're not going to live in darkness, but you're going to have the light of life. So remember, John said the life that Jesus had, the same life he's given us, gives off light. Notice as in John 9, verse 5, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And we know what he told us in Matthew, that we are the light of the world. That is our responsibility to be the light. Jesus says, while I'm here, I'm the light of the world. But that means now that he's ascended to heaven, we are the light of the world. And one of the things that Jesus shared in John 8 and John 9 leading to John 10 is leading to the festival of lights or the Feast of Dedication, or what we know today as Hanukkah, which is known as the Festival of Lights and all the different lights that are shown during that time of year. And so Jesus is echoing and showing these things, saying that we are light. We're supposed to be light. We're supposed to live a certain way. We're supposed to shine. Light is not afraid of the darkness. Light is not impressed by darkness. Light doesn't always talk about what the darkness is doing. What does light do? Light shines. John 12, 35 and 36 says, Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Now, one of the things that also says about this light is that people who walk in the darkness, it says, He who walks or lives in darkness does not know where he's going. Now, it's a very simple illustration. If it's pitch black in your room, you're trying to feel around, see where you're going, but you really don't know where you're going unless you have a guide or there's a light on. And so people who live in darkness, guess what? They don't know what they're doing. Or even put another way, some of them are deceived. And so when you deceive, you think what you're doing is right, even though it's wrong. And so people who are living in darkness don't know where they're going. And guess what? They're going to do dark things. And so we shouldn't be shocked when people who are in the world do dark things or people who are in the world have a misunderstanding of what God does and what God doesn't do. You know, what does God do? He is light. So you're going to say, well, God did something. Yeah, God did what he said in the scriptures. That's what God did. But when you watch the world, you know, they, they, they may be doing the best thinking this is what God wants, but if they don't know him, they're not going to experience what God has for them in the full level. Because God is good to everyone. It says in Psalms, God is good to everyone. And Jesus said, God pours out blessing or pours out rain on the just and the unjust. God is good to everybody. But to experience the extreme goodness of God and experience everything that God has for you, you have to walk in the light. And one of the things I want to encourage you to do, I'm going to echo this so many times over the next few months is, don't be impressed by the darkness. So many believers are impressed by darkness. And you can tell it because as soon as something dark happens, they have all these think pieces on social media. Of course, it's dark. Of course, it's evil. Of course, that's from hell. That it doesn't take a lot of discernment to realize that. But the thing is, we, you know, I sh shared this with a few people over the last couple of days. I said, you know, the kingdom of hell doesn't need a PR team. The church does the job for them. 
The kingdom of hell does not need a PR team. The church does the job for them because you hear more about darkness from the church than you do from the people who live in darkness and promote darkness. And you have to understand, you know, I was a media major and, you know, I studied media, different things. There are certain things that are crafted in a certain way to get you to talk about it. So that on Monday morning, you know, it used to be the water cooler talk that you gather around the water cooler and talk about what was on TV the last night or what was on the award show. But now it's not around the water cooler, it's around social media or people text, oh, did you see that? I can't believe they did. That's what happens. You're talking about it. People are going to go watch it. Viewership goes up. Marketers make more money. And then people buy more albums. And so what do we do? We keep talking about these things. We're impressed by the darkness. Don't be impressed by darkness when you are light. What are you supposed to do? Shine. And then here's something else people do. And this is something that really does get in my nerves. It's actually probably going into my next book. People think, well, yep, that area of the world is dark. That area of society is dark. I'm not going there. I'm just going to hang out with the light. So you have a bunch of light in the room, so the light, that room is lit up, but the world is dark. And if that's an area where God has called you to go, then you go there and be light. And you shine. You don't have to compromise to be light. You don't have to agree with what's going on around you to be light. But if that's where Jesus has assigned you to be, you go and shine. You don't get impressed by the darkness. You don't even get disturbed about it or be shocked about it because you understand that's what the world does. But you're sent to be light. That is your assignment. The life that is in you gives a light. People say, oh, you know, I'm just so worried about compromising. Well, don't compromise. Well, I'm so worried to be corrupted that what's in you is greater than what's out there. So let's say, because we'll see this in 1 John, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So say it this way. Say, what's in me is greater than what's out there. So say it out loud, put it in the chat. Say, what's in me is greater than what's out there. Say it out in the chat. Say, what's in me is greater than what's out there. So when you understand that, you can go places and just shine and not bother by the darkness. Now, some things may grieve your heart. Sure. But you're not so disturbed that all you talk about is the darkness. I remember one time, this was 15, 16, 17 years ago. And maybe a little bit longer, I was interning at a certain church and we went on this outreach event to a place, an event that was full of darkness. And I mean, full. of it. I remember walking through this area, we're there to outreach, to witness. And at this point, I wasn't the one doing the witnessing, but I was one of the leaders under the main leader watching to make sure that all of our people were safe because of all the things that were going on. And so as we were walking through, we haven't talked to anybody, but, you know, because of where I am, I'm, you know, we're. Uh, both of us, I'm sure, are praying and spirit on the breath because we're going two by two places, looking out for our people who are there. And I remember this person, they slinked up to us. I really mean they slinked up to us. They didn't walk up to us. They were like slinking along. It's kind of dramatic. I can't do it from the position. I mean, they kind of slinked up to us and looked at us. Now, mind you, we haven't said anything to this person. And they said, I know Jesus as well as you do. And they slinked off. And I'm looking, I'm like, and my first thought was, well, wow, maybe that was one of the first demons that Jesus kicked out of heaven because like, dude, like we didn't say anything. And this was the atmosphere. It was a very dark atmosphere. You could sense it. But I remember that, you know, you could see because you're in this darkness, oh, it's going to get on you. But I remember we went back to gathered, you know, where we were gathering after we were done, after we ministered to people. We want so many people to Jesus. It's amazing that, you know, we kind of all shout, we prayed and we shouted and whatever felt like was trying to grab onto us left. 
And so when you're telling stories and testimonies about it, because there's a lot of stuff we saw, it, it was a lot. There's some stuff you just don't forget. And it was sharing with others. And I just had this impression in my heart, stop talking about it. I was like, why stop talking about it? I was realizing I was talking more about the darkness than the light. You know, it was shocking some of the things I saw. And I realized I was impressed by the darkness. I needed to stop talking about all the things I saw and talk about what Jesus did. Talk about the people who wanted Jesus, people who were snatched out of the power of darkness. We live in a world that's filled with darkness. What does it say in Isaiah that gross darkness will cover the earth? But you arise and shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now we understand about this wonderful light and understanding of God. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If you're light, you don't, you're not afraid of the darkness. The Lord is the strength in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. God is good. He is light. There's no darkness in him at all. And he has called us to be light in this time. And I'll pause it right there. We'll get into this next week. God wants to partner with you. He wants you to be light. The things that he describes, believers, you know, when you see Jesus appear in the book of Revelation, says he appeared among the lampstands of the churches. He was walking in the midst of the churches and he's called them the lampstands. They were light. He calls us the city set on the hill. He calls, he calls us light so many different ways. He even calls his pastor stars that shine. He wants us to be light. Don't be afraid of the darkness. Don't be impressed by the darkness. Shine. Don't get involved in tearing down other believers and arguing with people back and forth about who was there, who wasn't, all the other stuff. Don't get caught up in religious pettiness. And don't be impressed by the darkness. Just shine. Of course, we all have our own opinions. We always have our own opinions. And our opinions may not agree. But over our opinions, we need to make a decision to shine to make a difference in this time. Because we're called to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to get in your word and just crack open the book of First John. Help us not just to be hearers of this word, but to be doers of this word so we'll be blessed in our doing. As it tells us in the book of James. Father, for us, for those of us who need clarity concerning our assignments. Father, pray that you grant us clarity and full of understanding. Pray that you fill us with the knowledge of your, of your will with all wisdom, spiritual understanding. That we may walk worthy of the Lord to, all, to you, to all pleasing, be fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Grant clarity, cause the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened, flooded with light, so that we may know what is the hope, the invitation of your calling, and the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe. Grant us insight so we can go forward and be light and shine in such a way that people are snatched from the kingdom of darkness and translated to the kingdom of the son of your love. Help us fulfill this great mandate you've given us as individuals, as families, and as a church family. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen, and so be it. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is going to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, 
and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message. And remember, God has a great plan for your life and something good is going to happen to you today. So expect miracles. God bless.